one year and I kind of got an idea, you know, I almost tried trap. I like to trap, I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? I would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money in over fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the fur boom. This is Northern Michigan, this is what you do. Trappers love game trappers in a positive light. I'm gonna ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Perfect and Game magazine. Instruction from Perigo Gorman. Perg Lennon's articles, the Perg Lennon ads. Two information, trapping radios. We are trappers on ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. Alright, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet that's working ahead of time to build big trapping. If you got variables to change the characters, you got bog trap. They start talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down bottom. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't get any better. Trying to set predator trash and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like a sheer. You better edit this part out. Yeah, it was better. Back in the first shed, this is Traffic Today. I'm Jeremiah Wood. Thanks for listening in. Great to have you. We're brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures. K-A-A-T-Z. E-R-O-S dot com. Trap smarter, work harder, enjoy the success that follows. Cotsworth has the trapping supplies you need to get started on the trap line. And we got a nice, exciting announcement for those of you TS85 users. You've got to stick around to the end of the show for that, though. We're also brought to you by Onyx Maps. Use your phone as a GPS on the trap line. Mark waypoints, trap locations, track your movements, scout using aerial imagery and get landowner information on xmaps.com. Use the code TRAP, T-R-A-P, to save 20% off of your first purchase at Onyx Maps. And Moyle Mink and Tannery. Moyle is the professional tanning service. What are you gonna do with the fur you catch this year? With the low fur prices, low fur market, it is time to get some of that fur tan. Or if you're just getting started and you've got some memories to preserve, some of those first animals you catch, hang on the wall, make hat, mitts, whatever i mean you gotta preserve that fur for the long term tanning by the professionals is the way to get it done go to moyle.net m-o-y-l-e.net and they have an online customer portal where you can prepare your order and get everything ready to ship Uh, and if you use that online customer portal portal if you're tech savvy like most of us youngsters these days are uh, i don't know if i should categorize myself as a youngster but um for those of you who are tech savvy and use that portal, it's going to jump you up to the head of the line and you get like 30 days quicker service because uh, they do want to encourage people to use that customer portal. So go ahead and uh, also with any questions or feedback for them, info at moil.net, I-N-F-O at moil.net and let them know you heard about them from trapping today or just thank you for supporting the podcast. Okay, guys, uh, tonight's episode, let's see what we want to do. Um, I don't have, actually don't have anything written down, believe it or not. Um, I just want to, uh, I decided, this is just kind of, it's it's springtime. It is uh, really, it, this is typically late winter for us in northern Maine. A lot of times we still have snow on the ground this time of year. And, and all, actually all the way to the 1st of May, many years we still have snow. But this year's different. This year, we actually have green grass popping out of the ground, and everything's warming up, and everything's just acting awfully crazy. 
And so uh, this is kind of a, a unique year for spring beaver trapping, and I've done a little bit, so I, I thought it would be a good opportunity to just kind of share some thoughts from the spring beaver trap line and, and uh, things that are going through my head. What I find is that when I, uh, I'm doing things, when I'm actually trapping, when the, doing the podcast during trapping season, it's a great opportunity to, to sit down and gather my thoughts and kind of organize things and talk about different things that are going through my head at the time that if I, if I don't discuss them and I wait a month, then I usually forget a lot of the small details. So it's nice to kind of get it down. And I guess that's why we all tell each other stories so that we remember things and, and sort of organize things better in our heads. So anyway, let's talk about spring beaver trapping. So we all start trapping season with some sort of a goal in mind. And that may be a stated goal that's just kind of something that, that you really put out there. Or it could just be like a subconscious goal that you have in your head. Some of us have a goal to just go out and hit it out of the park and catch as many animals as possible and work hard and go uh, steady uh, as long as we can, as long as the season or Mother Nature allows. Some of us, the goal is just to have fun, have a good time. Some of us, the goal is to be the most efficient and I think for most of us, though, the goal is to try to balance the uh, the uh, limited amount of time that we have in our lives these days and try to get enough trapping in to sort of uh, get it out of our system and, and um, just satisfy that urge to trap. And that's kind of what I did, you know. I had the beginning of the the season, I thought about what I wanted to do and Talking trapping every week on this show certainly helps get a guy excited about it. Also talking with other trappers and listening to their plans and seeing what they're doing. I mean, I I sat down with Billy Thompson early on when he, he came up and, and I was talking to him and Jeff about trapping, about the spring season, what they had in mind. And I just couldn't help but get excited about it, even though I didn't have big plans I just I had to go out and tra- do some trapping so the season this year op- opened up earlier you know our season goes from January f- you know it goes from actually from fall time all the way through uh, the end of April up here in northern Maine but most of the time the actual open water season doesn't start till uh, about the last 10 days to two weeks in April just before the first of May and some years you, you get barely get a week uh, a couple years ago, we had that situation, but some years like this one, this is the first year since 2012, I believe, that you get uh, a really nice long season up here where the the weather was mild, had an early melt off, and early ice outs, and and things just kind of got going where you could the beaver were out, you know, once when they're locked in under the ice that you, it's hard hard to get them to come to you. They're not moving around much. And uh, it takes a lot of work to get to them, and you can't be very efficient if you're if you're trapping from the roads or you're trying to run big lines. And uh, why waiting until that open water? I mean, open water just completely changes everything. And we can have you know I could do a whole podcast on that on how the uh, lack of ice and the open water in the spring season and and uh, getting ready for breeding and establishing territories how that all makes it so much nicer to, to have a trapping season during that time it's just so much easier to catch animals they're moving they're territorial and they come they come into 
caster very easily. They they just they they happen along your upon your sets much more often, and it's just it makes for some awesome trapping. So the the guys the beaver guys that I talk about a lot, um, I don't know they they don't really want to share much for numbers, but I'll tell you just a few days ago there were over 300 beaver. So uh, just to put it in perspective, and and they hadn't even, it's if they go to the end of the season they're, they're not even halfway there. Um, they're able to get to a lot of areas that many times of year, many years, uh, this time of year, it's still frozen and they, they never end up getting there. And all summer long, the towns, town road departments and county and highway departments have a really hard time with beavers flooding roads and causing damage and stuff. Um, but, but this year they're able to get out there and harvest a bunch of those beavers during the season. So it, it should be interesting to see how that, uh, how that helps. But anyway, yeah, they're they're having a good season. It, it it's interesting that the numbers, uh, um, the beaver aren't aren't coming like crazy, but they're they're catching them pretty steadily. There's a lot of different factors that have played into that, um, and we'll talk about that as I talk uh, more more about my trap line. But my goal was was a little, obviously much different, considering my personal life situation, where I don't really have a lot of time. To, to trap and I can't you know I could take vacation time from work but I actually need that time to to work on the farm and then when you have that you throw in the occasional trip to Alaska that eats up over a year's worth of vacation time right there so I, I just can't do that and I can't really just go oh before and after work I'll trap because before and after work I also have other duties uh, other things to work on as well so so I what I decided was I just wanted to have fun, get it out of my system, at least trap enough to say that I trapped. Uh, and uh, this year I, I wanted to trap just close to home. I didn't want to have to go very far. I wanted to be able to tend to all my sets within uh, a quarter to a half mile of, of my house. So I wouldn't spend any money on gas. I wouldn't have much time invested into traveling around. Uh, I would have some walking time involved there, but it wouldn't be far enough to really, uh, you know, eat up too much time. Um, I actually did did test out some areas that I decided were actually too far to walk, so I so I did not end up setting those. Um, but I but I did want to get away from the truck, and I talked about wanting to, you know, get get uh, get some exercise, get into shape. And catch some beavers off the road, away from vehicles, away from access points, and just have I don't know more of that sort of uh, trapping experience. Uh, that's not run and gun and go. It's it's just kind of enjoying the woods, enjoying the swamp, enjoying the outdoors, getting on the river, and uh, and some some quiet time too. So I did that, and I actually I do still have three traps out. So I'm not completely done. I had a dozen out um, for most of the last couple of weeks. I caught, uh, I've caught 14 beavers and four otters so far. Got, I know there's some more beavers where I have those traps left, but I've, I've been kind of pulling, slowly pulling things in as, as life begins to get a little more busy for me. And the fur is starting to show some cuts and some, you know, the, a little bit of hair pulling out. They're losing some fur already, for getting ready for springtime. They've been out from under the ice for for seven to ten days now, most of them, and so it's getting close, and uh, I'm kind of winding it down. So, anyway, that that's that's the 
I guess the broad scope of my line. I tried uh, one new important piece of equipment that I've been working on here for the past few weeks and I finally got a, a prototype in place and I started using it. I call it the Trapper Pack. So a couple weeks ago I had talked about my frustrations with the traditional trapping pack basket, whether it's the, the old school woven uh, ash wood material or the more somewhat modern fiberglass pack baskets. They got terrible strap systems and you cannot carry them very far. One guy said the best thing, the best, uh, thing to do with those is, is put them in the tail, on the back of the pickup truck or on the rack of a four-wheeler. And it, it's true. I mean, you don't want to go far. Those straps are terrible. They dig right into your shoulders. You can't carry much weight with them. They're the most uncomfortable thing that you can wear. So I wanted something that was similar to the traditional, well, the, more like the fiberglass pack basket, something that's open, hard, uh, not too heavy, something you could throw a bunch of traps in and gear you could haul beavers out on, uh, but had more of a, uh, a functionality like a modern day hunting pack with uh, a waist belt and padded padded waist belt, padded shoulder straps, uh, a, you know, more distributed weight and m more functional and, and more ergonomic. And I tried uh, doing that and, and kind of retrofitting some straps in a few different situations i did try that on a traditional on on the the standard fiberglass pack basket that they sell in most trapping supply companies and that that didn't work for me it's it's actually too short and so it doesn't fit the standard torso size uh, to to actually implement a waist belt system on it in addition to shoulder straps so that didn't work and i i looked everywhere to try to find something finally i found a container that was is still just a little bit undersized for what I'm looking for, but it was the closest thing I could find. And it's a pretty durable, like uh, molded plastic type material. It almost feels like similar to Teflon, although I don't know how strong it'll be out in the, if it's left in the sun for a few years. But for now, it's been pretty awesome. And I I got some some really nice shoulder straps and waist belt and other straps and I kind of retrofitted sort of a, a modern day pack system onto this uh, onto this container and it's worked out awesome I've had I, I've been able to wear do some wear and tear on it and find the breaking points and I did find several and I've been working on fixing those and retrofitting that a little bit and, and making some adjustments so so I want something that I can have five or six 330s in to haul into the swamp and be able to haul two beavers out, um, two you know two average size beavers or a big beaver and a small beaver. I've done that several times now with this thing, and I've hauled them out. Uh, the longest one's probably about a, it's not quite a quarter mile, but it's close. Uh, hauling uphill, so so that was pretty good because uh, I brought that son of a gun back, and I can't remember what the what the pack weighed. Um, I did the pack with one beaver. Uh, the other day and it was about 45 pounds and then uh, I had a second beaver on the next day and it was that other beaver was probably another 35 pounds so I may have been close to close to 80 pounds on at, at one point that was that was rough <laughs> that, that was a heavy heavy pack but it, it was doable and you'd never in a thousand years carry a 
uh, at least I don't think you'd, you'd carry a 80 pounds on a, a traditional pack trapping pack basket um, for a very long distance at all. So the, the thing has worked pretty awesome, but there is not one way to skin a cat. And that was the one thing that I learned from you guys, because when I brought this up, I, I was amazed at how much feedback I had. I think I had five or six emails of people sending me pictures and providing input on uh, the same exact issues that they had and how how those of you uh, who emailed me have made uh, adaptations and built your pack systems for trapping. Kind of basically what I did, retrofitting existing gear and making it work. So some of you, and I, I really appreciate all that feedback. That was awesome. And especially the guy sending the pictures, that was really cool. So it gave me a lot of ideas too. And and uh, a lot of things that it just proves how, uh, how much ingenuity there is in trapping. So one guy had a, uh, bought a frame pack, like a traditional hunting frame pack that had a fold out um, bottom, like a platform on the bottom. And I, I never liked the five gallon buckets because you can't really fit much in them and your stuff always falls out. They're a little too short. Well, this guy got a seven gallon bucket, which is, is quite a bit, a little bit taller than the five gallon. And he strapped that on and then he used a, I think it was a Mil, maybe a Milwaukee um, bucket uh, system with all, all the different pouches and stuff to, to put your all your tools in. So that, that was... That was looked like it was really functional. Um, the the shape, you know, the round shape of the five gallon bucket still has a little bit to be desired. I like a square shape that accommodates a like a rectangle shape to accommodate more of your like your body grip traps, your three thirties. And if you're if you're using it for like Martin or any type of backcountry line for with body grips, you know, your, your smaller, your two twenties, one twenties, whatever you got. And um, it seems with that round shape, you're just losing a lot of surface area on the on the bottom to to be able to put stuff and to fit stuff in. But it, it works. Obviously, it works. Um, other people had put straps onto um, existing pack baskets and existing strap systems and just made them. You know, put padded straps. A lot of guys are using those military strap systems, the Moly system, M O L L E is very popular guys are will take like a moly pack frame which is this like hard plastic material f- frame that you can attach straps and a kidney belt or waist belt to um, guys will just use those straps and, and put them on pack existing pack baskets like i said or you know any different other variety of different uh, options so people have done just a little bit of everything really one guy just took a military pack frame and strapped a trash can to it which with the trash can i can see why you'd want to use that because it's just it seems to be just the right shape for for putting 330s and such in in there Uh, but i just worry a little bit about the durability of course it'd be pretty easy just throw another trash can on i guess but yeah that's it's essentially almost what i have it's sort of a a a smaller version of a trash can uh, with more rugged material plastic material so that was cool. That was good to experiment with. I, I don't, I, I, now that I've used it a little bit, I think I'm, I'm going to continue to use that thing. I'm actually going to use it for a lot more than, 
than just the spring beaver trapping. Uh, I'll use it for uh, all summer long on the farm. I bet I could throw a bunch of fence posts in there, temporary fence posts to move cattle around, uh, electric fence and stuff. Uh, I, I'll use it for a variety of different things, I'm, I'm sure. It's just so easy to throw stuff in and take it out of it. And it's extremely comfortable, and you can carry a lot of weight without any trouble. Um, and, and I'll use it for trapping. I, if I was in the bush in Alaska, I would absolutely love something like this. Because it, especially if you're running some like sidelines that you're doing on foot, you can you can throw a bunch of traps in there, uh, especially like smaller like martin traps. And then you can haul a lot of fur out of there if you're trapping martin or mink or, or something small be really convenient so and i i don't know i may do some martin trapping where i have to walk a little bit from the truck and and do that most of my martin trapping is is fairly close because we got to cover a lot of ground where we're at in order to to get any numbers of martin but yeah the pack is cool i don't know if i i want to sell it i think it it's just a little more time and effort than i'm i'm looking to put into uh, to, to sort of try to produce these for other people. And I think everybody kind of, a lot of people have already found their own solutions anyway, but who knows? I'll post some pictures up uh, of that at some point and uh, let you guys check it out. So let's uh, get on to the beaver trapping. So what I did this year was in terms of like types of sets and how I, how I went about that, I, I set all 330s. And the reason for that is if I'm if I'm gonna set footholds, I'm gonna put them on drowning rigs here for spring beaver trapping, and I'm not going to carry a rock bag with 40 pounds of rocks in it, or 30 pounds of rocks in it, uh, out away from the truck in the places where I set traps. So it, it can be done certainly. Um, this time of year, good luck finding a rock if you're gonna just bring bags in and and fill them up the rocks on site. If you're trapping from the road, that's no problem. Usually the embankments around the culverts have lots of rock and you can you can piece together enough rock pretty easily to, to set yourself up with a good drowning rig. But I wasn't going to be able to do that. And so I decided just to go all 330s. That made it uh, somewhat challenging because there were places where uh, there, there certainly were better set opportunities if I would have had the, the chance to use footholds. However, it made me force me to get a little more creative, so that was good. I had to to really find places. I maybe had to move here, move there, a little bit. I had to uh, adapt and and kind of change the uh, the placement of guide sticks and the placement of the trap and the the lure, the attractant. And so it it, it maybe made me work a little harder. I don't know. Maybe maybe made me get a little creative and think a little more. So that was good. Um, the most, probably the most interesting thing about this year was uh, the way the weather was. It, it was it was warm and dry. You know, weather getting up into the 50s and lower 60s during the day. Sunny all day long. Incredibly beautiful for like a week or 10 days straight. And every night getting into the 20s and low 30s. So it would freeze every night. It would warm up during the day. It was just beautiful. But spring came so quickly, and we had so little snow in the woods, and we had no rain for such a long period of time that the river and the streams just dropped. The river dropped like a rock. It was unbelievable. 
So the last few days, actually, what kind of maybe helped precipitate my uh, pulling of the line earlier than I might otherwise have done was the fact that the, the water was dropping literally uh, a foot every day for several days in a row. And uh, it was, I think, the last the last three days, it's dropped about four and a half feet. Uh, three, three, yeah, four days. I'd say the last four days, it's dropped about four and a half feet. It's just hard to envision until you actually look at it. And you set your 330 completely underwater, and you get back during the next morning, and it's completely out of the water, not a, not a bit of water near it. And you do that again, you, you reset it way down, completely underwater, and you go back the next day, and it's completely out of the water. It's just, it's amazing. Um, and uh, actually, the, the last time I reset, I set uh, quite a bit below the, the low water in anticipation of, of that. And I still had, you know, the trap was half out of the water the next day. So it's been dropping like crazy. Uh, that I think that may be slowing the beaver down a little bit. The fact that I'm not going very far from home also means that, uh, you know, the beaver are moving like crazy, but you also kind of knock out the local population at some point and you lower the densities to where, uh, you know, you, you kind of got to wait a little bit for more beaver to move in. Uh, that being said, uh, yesterday when I was moving sets, I had uh, a beaver slapping its tail around. The day before I had a beaver slapping its tail around, swimming around me. So they're, they're still there for sure. Um, some of them may be a little smart. I think part of what was happening is I was remaking the set in the morning before I had to go to work. And I'd go to work and everything would be good. And, well, during the day, the water was continuing to drop. And maybe in the evening when the beaver started moving again, that conibear was partly out of water. And that may have discouraged beaver from moving uh, moving in, in into the set. So... That may have been a factor too that I probably should have checked those. If I had the time, I, I should have checked those again in the afternoon, evening, and adjusted accordingly if the water had continued to drop. But hey, what are you going to do? It's a it's a short season and, and you got to kind of go with it. So I think we're at the point now where the water's dropped. It's almost to like a base sort of flow level where it's it's not going to be able to drop <laughs> much faster. Uh, or, or much more at this. It can't drop at the same rate as it has been dropping. Uh, it just doesn't doesn't make any sense. There's controls there. There's old beaver dams and and riffles and stuff uh, that that are gonna gonna kind of hold that water level now that it's near its base, closer to its base flow. So I trapped two main areas. One was a just kind of a, a general area that's sort of surrounded by different beaver territories. It seems to be a dynamite spot for for beaver every spring because you have, it's not, it's sort of like a network of the river and side channels and back swamps and boat, they call them bogans here, uh, to the river. And the beaver are scattered throughout. It's not like a beaver just builds a dam because they, they can't really... Uh, it's hard for them to control the water levels here. It's more of like uh, controlled by the main river, which they, is too big for beavers to, to dam up. So these are beavers that kind of set up. Their, a lot of them are like bank beavers. So they'll go on the bank of the river or side channel, build their house and, and do that deal. 
but there's also places where it's kind of just like a, a huge wetland swampy area with alders but not much else and there isn't much for feed a lot of these beavers are just uh, burrowing in the bank and they're feeding on on lily pads and cattails and maybe a little bit of alder i've seen them chewing alder some i know they don't like it much but uh, some of that and the occasional aspen they can find but for the most part these are these beavers are kind of getting by in the swamp and they're you it's not like you can just go and say okay there's a beaver house we're going to set on that there's one i'm going to sit on that you just kind of set you see runs and you see kind of travel ways that where beaver are traveling long distances uh, from their houses and and you set on those and those some of those can be pretty dynamite there's some places i set this spring that i had uh, traps sitting for seven to ten days and never had a single animal um, go through them so so there's that and there's other places that almost every single night i'd catch a beaver so so there there's you know it's it's there's places like it's funny when you're when you're just starting and trapping in a new area and you're learning these things it, it can take a little while but once you got it down it's like it's automatic <laughs> so there, i have uh, a couple three spots that i know every time i put a trap there i'm going to have a beaver if there's a beaver in that area and, and that's pretty cool and you always wonder like well if if i was a professional and i was running 100 sets a day i would identify you know 50 of these and it would be absolutely just uh money you know you could you could really stack up the numbers with these and then the others you just kind of experiment and and look for other areas that are going to work and and there's places that change every year and uh, they might be good one year bad the next or then all of a sudden there's an area that you never noticed before and you set a trap there and you start catching fur there too so so that's good Uh, most of my sets i used uh, i used a, a few different lures i just grabbed what i had on the shelf i had the birch river beaver lure that i make here i had just some standard old beaver caster had some of Lennon's beaver lure, and oh, I had a little bit of beaver sack oil too. That that works probably just as well as caster for beavers. And then I, w- I was using mainly just just kind of making mud pa- mud pies, you know, just just pulling up and making kind of a artificial caster mound. I didn't use any aspen for bait just because I was, I don't know, I, I was either too lazy or I didn't think of it. I, I think I was more focused on finding travel ways because I, I was using 330s, whereas when, I, when I'm when i using foothold sets, I like I, I automatically grab a bunch of, of bait. I go cut a bunch of popple down and, and uh, cut up bait sticks because I know I'm going to use them in my standard foothold set, um, but I didn't really do that. Uh, I, I probably could have, and I probably could have done well with that, but I just, I don't know. I never got around to it, and I didn't seem to need to. The uh, interesting thing with the 330 trapping is uh, we're required by law here to set, when our traps are set, we have to set them completely underwater. Any body grip trap has to be completely underwater. Um, and now that doesn't mean, you know, if the water drops, uh, between the time you set and you check, that's fine. But when you go to check it, you got to reset it and get it below the water. Because of that rule, it it makes 
a trapper get a little more creative in terms of how you're going to catch beaver because you need to you can't really set in shallow water areas even though the beaver might be traveling to them and also you have to get the beaver to dive and so they're doing a lot they're right on the surface this time of year moving around sniffing in the air and and swimming with their heads out of the water uh, but you you got to get them interested in investigating uh, where you get your trap set and then you got to have something to force them to go underwater and swim through your trap so so that takes a little doing sometimes it it actually doesn't take as much as most people think you could have a little stick the size of a pencil the the diameter of a pencil over the top of the trap and the beaver will dive under that so they don't have to push through it um, but sometimes it's hard to uh, to do that and to make it subtle and to also have confidence that they're going to travel uh, right there um, under it. So um, I do find myself guiding more more than maybe I need to. But at the same time, I've also found situations where I haven't put as many guide sticks around the side of the trap. And I've had beaver go around it. Um, I don't know as I've had uh, a beaver ever like swim and hit that top of that trap with their chest. And... Uh, and knock it over or anything it, it may have happened in the past that i'm not aware of but um i always try to put put enough of a an incentive over the top of that to get him to get him to go down and dive but once you figure it out you know you can pretty much make it work in most situations but um it's it's certainly the more variables you add into that into things it it's never a guarantee so so that was uh, that was more of just the challenge that was part of actually what I wanted this year is to to sort to learn and and to have more experiences like that where it wasn't really boring where I was just ah this is where I put the trap here we go set it and uh go do another one um I did actually film some of this but I got I did actually get kind of bored filming and and I didn't follow through I so it's not going to be a lot I may put it together and throw up a YouTube video or something just to show you guys some of the sets and show some of the catches. Now, I want to talk about otter because at the beginning of the show, I mentioned that I caught four otter. And a, a lot of people would be proud of that. I'm not proud of that. <laughs> so um, I actually, to be very honest with you, I was trying to avoid catching otter. So this is beaver season. Uh, we are allowed to trap four beaver. We're not allowed to trap four otter. Um, However, we are allowed to uh, keep any incidental otter we catch while targeting beaver. So it's an interesting regulation uh, where you know things are pre can be pretty vague. Of course, things are 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 straightforward. If you're using fish for bait, obviously you're targeting otter, and that's against the law. That's pretty easy to 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 flesh out. Uh, but otherwise, there's a lot of ambiguity there because you know a lot of the traps that are set for beaver can catch otter and and i learned that so one uh, you know i guess just just going back to the beginning the whole idea uh, in the past we never had this extended beaver season in maine and as i remember it the the idea was well we don't have enough beaver being harvested the fur prices have dropped the number the trapper participation is way down and we're just not harvesting anywhere near the number of beaver that we we have in the past and the beaver population is exploding 
Beaver are everywhere and they're causing all kinds of problems. And so there was pressure for the state to open up beaver trapping season in the springtime. And that was uh, obviously looking back, that was oh, 10, 10, 12 years ago maybe, maybe a little bit longer, not much longer. But that was an incredible success. I mean, it, it, in my opinion, it just it really resulted in in an increase in harvest because I think the beaver harvest was gonna would have dropped substantially more um, in the absence of that spring season, and we would have seen a lot more problems. Those beavers still would have got killed. They just would have got killed in the summertime, and people would have spent a lot of money killing them, paying animal damage control agents to kill them, and fixing roads and bridges and digging out culverts with excavator and uh yeah dealing with all that stuff so um, it it certainly seems to have been very successful one of the hesitancies at the time was well we don't want to harvest too many otters now um I, i guess i've never heard what too many otters is you know what 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 the meaning of that is what the number is and and how many otters is too many? How many otters is enough? Because obviously, um, with the the lower number of trappers participating in and the uh, lower beaver harvest, there were fewer incidental otters being harvested uh, as a result. And as beaver numbers go up, otter numbers seem to go up. Um, it, it seems as though you know it, it would make sense, right? Beaver uh, create a lot of otter habitat by um, by building those dams and and even when they leave and abandon those flowages, the otters occupy the abandoned beaver houses, and it, it's uh, it seems to be the, the two species obviously get along quite well in terms of of uh, of benefiting at least beaver beaver populations benefiting otters. The fact that beaver aren't being harvested also means otters aren't being harvested either, um, and just for some perspective. I, the last, not eight and a half, nine years, eight and a half years that I've been back here, um, compared to every other place I've been in the country and compared to my entire childhood growing up, uh, I've never seen this number of otters that I see these days. And that could be just be anecdotal, but a lot of other people I talk to would, would say the same thing. So otter numbers are very high. And in fact, I, uh, <laughs> I tried... I tried not to catch otter, and they just seemed to go into my traps no matter what I did. So uh, one of the things that I did, I decided to do just because, um, I don't know, I so so going back, I, I figure, and this is just a broad figure, uh, it seems like when I'm trapping in the wintertime uh, or just or even the fall, and I am doing my standard beaver trapping, uh, kind of an average number seems to be like one otter in for every 10 beavers I catch. You'll catch an incidental otter. And when otter numbers are higher, that number would probably be higher. And when they're lower, maybe vice versa. It also depends a lot on the area that you're trapping. But uh, it, it's kind of a, it's a rule of thumb that I kind of have in the back of my head for whatever reason. And so when I'm trapping in the spring, now, like last year, I think I got 25 beaver and I got two incidental otter and I figured, hey, that's pretty good. That's, you know, that's, uh, that's acceptable, acceptable to me as a trapper. There's no number, no regulation or anything. So, you know, I, I, I kind of, I didn't want to 
do anything to catch more incidental uh, quote unquote otter that I than I uh, felt that I should <laughs> based on this this self-imposed uh, uh, ratio. And so I was doing things like uh, I I had okay, so some states actually require this. If you set your triggers on your 330 all the way over to the side of of the jaws, the trap, the opening of the trap, as opposed to having them like in the middle, you know, standard trap setting is usually like trigger dead center with the, the trigger wires kind of spread out to a V. Um, what I've been doing is closing those trigger wires cl- right next to each other so they're right parallel with each other and moving that trigger all the way over to the edge of the trap. What that does in theory, and some states, maybe New York or Pennsylvania, you guys can can let me know if that's the case, but I know there are other places where they require this um, to avoid otter uh, because in theory, otter will swim right through your 330 and not trip the trigger and get caught. Uh, Whereas beaver is big enough that that he'll tend to, to get caught in that trap even with your trigger off all the way to the side. You will miss the smaller beaver um, they, they don't fill up a trap like a large beaver would. Um, but that's, that's, I guess the, the price that you pay for trying to avoid otter. Uh, however, uh, three of the four otter I caught, I had the trigger all the way to the side of the trap. And, uh, one of them was, was just a massive, just a really big old male otter. And, uh, he filled up that whole trap. Uh, one of them was caught all the way in the back end. He went, it looked like that otter went all the way through the trap and must have kicked the trigger with its foot and it got caught on the back the back end of the body. Uh, so, so there was that one. Um, another one, I don't know what happened. The trigger was all the way aside. And then another one, I, I just didn't, I thought it was a beaver set. It was a caster mound set for beaver. <laughs> and I, I, I never even thought there'd, there'd be an issue with an otter being there. And so I just set a standard beaver trigger and boom, it got an otter. So, so that, you know, obviously an indicator, there's a lot of otter there. You're even trying to avoid them. Um, I, I wonder if it's possible that a number of those otter, like how many times do you think maybe otter swam through my three thirties and didn't get caught and then boom, they got caught. Um, it's it's an interesting little thought so uh, it could have just been they happened to be moving through at the time and I, I hit I actually caught them uh, pro, uh, not quite a week apart but two and two and two days and again two and two days so so they were there obviously was some sort of a, a pattern there where they were moving through so I, I don't know I don't I, I guess I really don't know the answer other than hey I got more out of this year but um, certainly not for lack of trying to avoid it. And uh, they're a beautiful pelt. They're an animal that is probably, according to all biological information, under-harvested uh, in Maine these days. So it doesn't hurt to harvest them. Actually, maybe, maybe someday there will be discussion about allowing us to just target otter during, during the beaver season. I don't, I don't know. It would be interesting to hear, you know, hear that come up someday. But... Anyway, yeah, just trying to, you know, trying to continue keeping everything legal and playing by the rules, but uh, also uh, try, trying to uh, to follow the intent, what I think is the intent of the law, 
as well at the same time as as following the letter of it and uh yeah the i'm looking at these are they're just they're, they're such nice pelts i already got plans these ones are going to moil uh i'm gonna gonna get them tanned and and uh figure out what to do with them from there but i've i'll have you know i'll have quite a little handful of them tanned by the time these ones get back and and uh i'm thinking there's there maybe some otter project in the works do something with this otter fur it's just a it's a really nice thick warm fur and i think there's a lot of things you can do with it so that was i guess kind of a low but i i really can't call that a low in in the spring beaver trapping season because uh it's you know you're catching a just a beautiful animal and uh, you're making good use of the fur still following the rules uh just a, a little bit bittersweet somewhat now uh I, I will say, you know, the majority of the otter that are being caught this time of year are males. And those are the ones that are moving. The females that are having their little ones are typically just laying low. Uh, three of the four I caught were males. One actually was a female. And uh, I, I opened her up. Um, you know, I've been told in the past, well, uh, you can't harvest otter in the springtime. It's, it's just not good science. Um, because they're just getting ready to have their pups. And so uh, that that's kind of a, maybe an old school biological sort of a rule that, that that's just not something you do. Uh, I, I still challenge that and I wonder, well, what's the difference between harvesting that same animal in the spring versus harvesting them in the previous fall? Um, she still would have had pups in the spring most likely. But anyway, I decided to figure out, uh, quote unquote, how many pups I killed uh, by harvesting this one otter and I opened her up and she had one in her and so she would have had one she would have had one little one um, that's not to say that that's just like trying to say well when you kill a doe that's pregnant you just killed two deer or she might have had twins you killed three deer well that's obviously not true um, if you look at, at compensatory mortality and the difference of mortality rates let's say that deer um, that deer had Typically, let's say white-tailed deer have, a, say, a 50% survival rate annually. And if you kill a doe that's got two fawns in her belly, is that equivalent to killing three deer? Well, you have to understand whether or not, uh, first of all, that doe would have survived to have those fawns. Second, whether those fawns would have survived and how long they would have survived. So if you have a, a deer population... I'm just using deer because it's the first thing that came to mind. You have a certain amount of habitat that is sort of regulating and, and determining the carrying capacity for that deer population in the habitat. You know, availability goes up and down over time. Well, if the habitat can support a certain number of deer, um, if you kill more deer, the survival rate tends to go up because when habitat is limiting survival is usually density dependent meaning the higher the density of the population the lower the survival rate because when there's limited habitat those animals are competing for a limited resource they're competing for food they're competing for space up here we get a lot of snow in the winter time and they're competing for shelter and cover so it, it would it really be like killing three animals when you kill that one deer um let's say if Let's say you killed um, half of the deer herd during hunting season. Did you just kill 50% of the deer population? 
Well, maybe not because the remaining 50% will have a much higher survival rate than they would have in the past. You kill just a small number of deer and like in this instance up here where they winter, they come to town and get fed in town and they get hit by cars. There's, there's probably just as many deer that get hit by cars here as get harvested by hunters. All winter long, they're, they're crossing the roads and getting nailed. And so uh, all of a sudden, if you harvest those animals in the fall during hunting season, the survival rate of the remaining animals, because they don't have to move around as much and they don't have to compete for that food and uh, the, the, all the things that determine their survival are less likely, uh, determine their mortality are less likely to happen. Um, all of a sudden, you know, you, you've got a higher percentage of those animals surviving. So the mortality rate might have just gone from 50% to 25%. So you see what I'm trying to get at there is, is you really can't make those uh, straight math uh, calculations to determine what's going on in a population. You really got to look broad scale, uh, see see how things are going and what the trends are and the overall numbers and, and sort of uh, make a determination based on that. But anyway, it just goes to show, you know, we as trappers are, are just one piece in this whole system. It's kind of cool to see see how these populations work and and uh, respond and maybe somewhat respond to harvest and maybe sometimes they don't and uh, they you know back and forth with mother nature and habitat and all those changes it's, uh, it's a good thing to be a part of guys it really is so sorry to ramble about that I, I will mention one more low point <laughs> and the season's not over yet I'm, I got three traps to check tomorrow <laughs> I'll probably run those for, well, we may run those for, for a little while. Um, have fun taking my boys down there and walking around and checking those and stuff. But uh, low low point of the year has definitely been the gloves, the gauntlets. So the, uh, the Cold Creek gauntlets that I've used for many years, I've spoken pretty highly of them in the past. And occasionally you, you get a leak and you, and you have issues with them, whatever, but uh, really, I, I I've had pretty good luck with them, and they're kind of like a, a glove that's that's comfortable. It's something that's flexible enough for you to actually have some dexterity in your hands. Uh, it's not super; they're not super insulated, but they're they're stiff enough to to be comfortable and to kind of like stay uh, on the full length of your arm without falling off. They're have enough dexterity enough stiffness it's kind of just a good balance to allow you to do everything you need uh, to do setting traps and and all that stuff but they also you know they're they're somewhat they're fairly warm for having you know not having too much insulation they're a good glove or they were a good glove uh i had a pair spring a leak on me which is pretty standard you know whatever it happens so i had a, a fresh pair in the truck i had bought ahead of the season because I knew this might happen so I pulled them right out of the bag and I put them on went down to set traps as soon as my hand hit the water I had water pouring into one side so I look at the glove and between the index and middle finger that crease kind of uh, in that low that sort of valley between the two uh, wide open so obviously a problem there what that was all about so whatever I had wet hands I I ran the rest of the traps and set traps with wet hands I wasn't too super excited about it and I went back to my 
oh, I, I did some patching. I had some leaky gloves and everything. Well, that morning when I sprung that leak, I ordered another pair on Amazon. And I got them, same thing, cold crate gauntlets. And I got them right away a few days, like three days later. Opened that pack up. I went down to the swamp, stuck my hand in. Boom, instant leak. So I had two pairs from two different suppliers. I made sure to order from a different supplier just to make sure. Nope, same problem. And so uh, I can just imagine how many trappers out there are opening these packs up at Cold Creek Gauntlets and having instant leaks on them. Uh, I don't know if it was a bad batch from the factory or, or what it was, but it's just uh, it was just kind of disappointing. So I'm looking. If anybody has other ideas on gauntlets, um, I don't like those. There, there's a few other models that I really don't like just because I don't like those insulated ones because every time you try to pull your hands out of them when, when your hands are a little wet, the insulation pulls apart from the, the rest of the fingers and you can never get them back. They're, they're a pain in the butt. Um, so I ordered some of the Atlas uh, gloves. I, I do. I have had good luck with other Atlas gloves in the past. So I tried those at yellow Atlas gauntlets and I'm, I'm going to see when they come in. I'll use them for a while and see how that works out. But um, it is, it's one of them deals where it's getting very hard to find good quality gear and uh, trapping industry is no exception. So, you know, everything we have is made in China, no matter where you go and what you do. So it's fairly frustrating in that sense. Uh, obviously, we pay a price for, for having thing everything cheap these days. Um, but yeah, all, as always, you know, any gear, equipment that's like that you have experience with and have, have really good luck with, I always like to hear about that because I like to promote good things. And if I have problems, uh, let you know I got problems. But speaking of good things, guys, um, It is time for the Cots Brothers message of the week. And this is a great one because one of the good things in the trapping world, in my opinion, has been the TS-85 beaver trap. And just the other day, just two days ago, I was talking with Billy Thompson. We were talking about his spring beaver trapping line. I was over there at his his uh, trapping camp and had a lot of fun just chatting. I'll actually, we recorded while we're doing that so when i have time to sit down and edit that and go through it we will uh i will have an episode up here shortly in the next couple of weeks on just talking spring beaver trapping and other stuff with billy but one of the things that he mentioned was you know he loves the ts-85s he's just a, that's pretty much all he uses now for for footholds for beaver and he said you know he's in his 70s now in his early 70s and he's still out there running like 80 traps a day and catching hundreds of beaver and he says you know i'm i'm just getting to the point with my hands and and uh getting a little weaker and i'm having a hard time setting those ts-85s on my leg you know he sets them on his thigh um and and he just says you know they're getting a little harder he said that's the only thing i just can't seem to keep up with he said i gotta find a way to find some setters that'll work on that well the very next day I got an email from Cots Brothers Lures. And if you are a subscriber to Cots Bros newsletter, you would have got this. So if you haven't, go to CotsBros.com and sign up for that newsletter because you'll get this stuff. And you'll know when these new products come out. Um, Cots Brothers Lures is excited to announce. After many requests, we now have a TS-85 setter available. 
These setters easily slide over the end of the levers, giving you an easier set on the TS-85. Um, also, keep an eye on their website for some innovative new lures and baits coming later this spring. So guys, TS-85 setters are in stock. They are, I just checked them, I think they're like, they're $16.95. So really reasonable, they're painted orange, so you can't lose them if you set them down on the, the creek bank. Um, so check them out. Go to cotsbros.com for that. Um, for me, what do you got? We got uh, mugs, trapping uh, today, coffee mugs with the new logo. Those are on the website, trappingtodaystore.com, as are my books, lure, t-shirts, everything else that you can get from me is there. Till next time, guys, thanks for sticking around with me and uh, putting up with my rambling. Um, I hope some of it was useful for you. Keep on talking trapping. Keep on thinking trapping. We will catch you on the next episode.